I watched 215 new films in 2023. It's finally time to talk about my favorite ones. And here we go. Well, welcome everyone to Feelin' Film. I'm Aaron White, and this is a wonderful time of year when I get to talk about the movies that I enjoyed the most. This list isn't necessarily indicative of how I voted during my awards season in the film critic organizations that I'm a member of, and rather are the movies that emotionally impacted me and stayed with me the most. I'm also the kind of person who struggles to limit himself in pretty much everything I do, so what would a list be? without a ton of honorable mentions. So first, here are a few of my memorable experiences from the year that just didn't quite make the cut. Then we'll get into my top 10. First is Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, The Movie. I was pretty devastated earlier this year when ticketing came around for her shows here in Seattle. I tried desperately to get them. I was in one of the pre-sales, but even being in one of the pre-sales, by the time tickets became available for me, there was like nothing there, and I couldn't afford the exorbitant resale prices to go see her live, and, and it just, it sucked. I mean, I really, really wanted to go to this tour. She is probably my favorite artist overall, at least solo artist, so getting a chance to be able to experience this tour in a movie theater with beautiful, amazing Dolby sound and my awesome daughter with me. It was really great, and I'm just so appreciative that she was able to bring this opportunity to the thousands and thousands upon millions of fans that couldn't get a chance to see her in person. I'd argue that the sound is probably even better than it would be live, so from that standpoint, like, we had a leg up. Still would love to go to the actual show. But for my money, it was a perfect example of what a concert film can be, and I just will never forget being able to do that in a theater where people were singing and dancing and having such a great time. Next is the Abyss 4K remastered re-release. It was just incredible to see this movie on the big screen for the first time in my entire life. The CGI holds up so well and even puts much of today's work to shame. This is a thrilling, emotional, undersea adventure with a lot of character depth pun intended, and a surprising global theme that is honestly just as relevant today. It's one of Cameron's best movies and one of the few that I've never been able to see in a theater until now. I'm so glad I was able to make it, and it sucks that it was only one night that they put this in theaters, but hey, one night's better than none. At least those of you who couldn't make it can revisit it on digital or when the 4K disc release comes out. Physical media rocks. Another big highlight of my year was getting to attend film festivals outside of my home city for the first time. And that means I saw quite a few movies that won't actually have a wide release until 2024 or beyond. It's the first time I've ever had to deal with that. One of them is Magazine Dreams, starring Jonathan Majors, and I have questions about whether or not that's ever going to come out, which is kind of a bummer because it's a really good film, but I understand the implications at this point. Right now, he's not someone you want to get behind with a marketing campaign. Three of the standouts, though, for me, were the movies How to Have Sex, Hitman, 
and Woman of the Hour. These were all awesome and would have been contenders for my top 10 this year if eligible. I just wanted to give them a shout out and remind you that I have spoiler-free reviews of all of these on this very channel and the podcast. And you should give those a listen or watch if you're interested. These are also movies I just wanted to make sure I was putting on your radar so you could look forward to seeing them in 2024. They're great. You need to make them a priority. And all three could very well make an appearance on this list at this time next year. Another really surprisingly awesome experience for me was seeing the movie Strays. Now, I expected to hate this because I don't like childish, vulgar, potty humor. And really, that's what 90% of this movie is. But for some reason, it just really worked for me coming out of the mouths of actual dogs with CGI'd mouth movement that surprisingly works very well. And with the voices of great, hilarious actors, I ended up totally loving it. I watched it multiple times. I'll be honest, a big part of that is probably because one of the prominent dogs in this movie is a Boston Terrier voiced by Jamie Foxx. And my two beautiful pups are also Boston Terriers. So I see them in this movie every time I'm watching it, and I can't help but have a special connection to it for that reason. I can't, in good faith, tell you that it's a particularly good movie, but it's just a personal favorite, and I was rarely invested in anything this year cinematically as I was in watching Reggie get revenge on his despicable owner, Doug. Now, usually I'm the documentary guy, as well as the animated film guy. Those are two types of movies that I gravitate towards and am a big champion of. This year was kind of on the downside for me when it comes to documentaries. I had far less favorites than a typical year. And I just wanted to highlight three of these that stood out the most to me because they won't be appearing anywhere else on the list. And I wanted to give them a little special place of their own. They are 20 Days in Maripol, Stephen Curry Underrated, and The Mission. 20 Days in Maripol is a crisp, no-frills, heartbreaking account of the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2022. It's absolutely gut-wrenching to watch, but this kind of on-the-ground, first-person perspective journalism is so important because it provides a factual, historical record of the agonizing devastation that was taking place in this area and still has been, unfortunately. This is a very, very hard watch, but I do think that it's as close to an essential documentary as maybe we've had all year. And especially so for anyone who wants to understand this conflict from the ground perspective in a better way. Now, the documentary about Stephen Curry isn't a complete retrospective, but rather a heartfelt and honest journey through the highlights of Steph's career up to this point, and highly focused on his time in college at Davidson, but also following him as he makes the decision to finally get his college degree while still playing in the NBA. And there's plenty of triumphs and challenges to both. There's so much archival footage shown that is wonderful to revisit. Steph makes so many great plays. I could watch highlight reels of them all day, but there's also a good amount of unflattering stuff that's shown, and I appreciated that because it humanizes him and helps us to remember that he wasn't always the greatest of all time shooter that we kind of look at him and see now as a mini time NBA champion. 
It's earnest, energetic, crisply shot, expertly edited, scored, and directed. This is a documentary that basketball fans cannot miss. And last but not least is The Mission. Now, lots of my interests converged here, specifically faith and exploration, in this examination of Christian missionary John Chow's life and what led to him being killed by Lee's when trespassing on an indigenous island. There's so many themes brought up to contemplate, and the directors never seem to take a side fully, which I greatly appreciated. I also really enjoy the beautifully animated reenactment sequences throughout that break up the numerous interview segments perfectly. I also just wanted to say that I love all of the Wes Anderson adaptations of Roald Dahl's short stories that were put out on Netflix this year. I think it's Anderson's best work since Isle of Dogs. They have just wonderful production design, delightful, quirky characters, incredible performances, and some great life lessons too. I'd rank them like this. The wonderful story of Henry Sugar, then Poison, then The Swan, then The Rat Catcher. Last but not least, here are my next 10. These are the movies that I highly considered for a spot in my coveted top 10, but they didn't make it for whatever reason. Some of these were incredibly painful to leave out because I do enjoy them so much and I wanted to be sure and give all of them their flowers. I'm not going to go into detail for each of these just to save some time. So here's the list. The Kane Mutiny Court Martial, The Color Purple, Dumb Money, Godzilla Minus One, The Iron Claw, May-December, Priscilla, The Promised Land, Sanctuary, and Theater Camp. I'm not going to go into all of these in detail, but feel free to check out my Letterboxd account, which is linked below in the video notes, for some thoughts on them. Many of them also have reviews on this channel and on the podcast as well. And now it's time for the top 10. Number 10. Origin. This film feels pretty major to me. This adaptation of Isabel Wilkerson's nonfiction book is a heavy, sweeping exploration about the history of cast worldwide in biopic form. There's a lot to take in, process, and talk about. No one blends emotional and informational storytelling in quite the way that director Ava DuVernay does. Ingenue Ellis Taylor is staggering in the central performance, and I really loved seeing John Bernthal as a gentle, supportive, and loving husband, which is a big change from most of the roles that he tends to take. This is a film that was incredibly effective on me and led to me wanting to learn more about its topic and its subject and how cast and race differ and how they're similar as well. I know most people haven't seen it yet as of the making of this list, but I'm really excited for it to get a full release and everyone to have that opportunity. Number nine. The Zone of Interest. I can't say that I enjoyed this movie, but I respect the heck out of it. Jonathan Glazer gives us a unique and absolutely chilling look at the Holocaust from a German family's perspective. Time spent observing everyday life at their beautiful house right next door to the Auschwitz concentration camp is masterful in its juxtaposition of familial comfort versus off-screen horror. This is an unsettling and challenging work of art that will probably stand the test of time as one of the most impactful films made about the Holocaust ever. Number eight. The first slam dunk. This adaptation of a popular sports manga is 
gorgeously animated to show the physicality and speed of the game of basketball. And it also strongly captures human emotion with its mixture of hand-drawn and CGI animation styles. It's brilliantly structured, taking place over the course of a single high school playoff game, but frequently using flashbacks to let us get to know the players and understand what's at stake for them all. And it's just a deeply moving core story about chasing dreams and overcoming grief, mixed with exhilarating, detailed, on-court hoops action. It is, in fact, well, a slam dunk. Number seven. Past Lives. Oh, what an achingly emotional Korean relationship drama about fate, pursuing dreams, regrets, and finding happiness where you are. This is a stunning debut feature film from writer-director Celine Song that may be slow and quiet, but is actually deeply complex. This movie about two separated childhood friends and how they reconnect over different periods of their lives, trying to figure out what their relationship is going to be, made me feel so much and relate in a very personal way. It also has, bar none, one of the best Final scenes of the entire year. Number six. Radical. This film tells the true story of Sergio Juarez and his unorthodox but effective teaching methods to a failing sixth grade class. It's devastatingly honest about the challenges, poverty, family obligations, and crime, as well as corrupt and archaic educational systems can have on students being able to reach their full potential. Eugenio Derbez gives a powerfully affecting performance, full of humor and grace that really captures Juarez's idealistic beliefs about education. It's heartwarming and it's tragic, but it's real and hopeful too. Number five. You Hurt My Feelings. No film has risen higher on my list over the course of the year than this one. I keep rewatching it and loving it more and more. It's a slight family dramedy with a simple plot about a wife who secretly overhears her husband admitting to her brother-in-law that he doesn't actually like her new book. And from there, it wonderfully pokes at the reasons we lie to spare the feelings of one another and encourages massive amount of self-reflection. The entire cast is excellent and even knowing what's coming, I always laugh out loud nonstop. It's just a super charming film that was, strangely, my first Nicole Hall of Sinner-directed viewing, but I can guarantee you it will not be my last. Number four. The Holdovers. This is a simple but heartwarming, charming, and very funny teacher-student story about finding connection and encouraging each other, set in the always interesting-to-me setting of a prestigious boys' boarding school. As a professor struggles to connect with a student who was left behind by his family over Christmas break, we see that everyone has buried pain somewhere and are reminded that we could all be a little more empathetic. It's just utterly lovely from the old-school opening logos all the way to the end credits. The three central performances here by Paul Giamatti, Dominique Sessa, and Divine Joy Randolph are superb. It's a perfect holiday comfort film. I truly have no notes. Number three. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Featuring quite possibly the best animation in a film 
forever. This sequel is an artful masterpiece that uses strikingly different but equally gorgeous art styles to represent the various worlds inhabited by its many creative and unique characters. A deeply emotional, layered, epic, and heavy story plays out that challenges relationships and builds towards some terrifying stakes as the narrative forces its dual protagonists of Miles and Gwen to consider whether or not one should change fate. This is the infinity war of animated movies, and somehow, someway, manages to at least live up to, if not surpass, its incredible predecessor. Number two. Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan's powerful storytelling and superb technical filmmaking combine for a mesmerizing and thoroughly educational experience walking through the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer as he conceives of, leads a team to create, and then suffers through the aftermath of the atomic bomb. Cillian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. anchor this film with masterful performances and are supported by a brilliant ensemble cast in a complex biographical epic that dances in many genres over several timelines and one that is deeply human while also being challengingly dense. It is riveting from start to finish though, despite its three-hour runtime. It makes for a dramatic adult blockbuster the likes of which we almost never see anymore. Christopher Nolan has always been my favorite director and I truly believe that his time is now. And I am really excited to see him get the kudos that he deserves this award season. Number one. The Eight Mountains. I fell under this film's spell in January 2023 at the Sundance Film Festival and have never once questioned its place atop this list. It is simply one of the most touching and poignant films about male friendship that has ever been made. I adore the slow and quiet pace as we follow two childhood friends from different backgrounds, Pietro and Bruno, for several decades. Seeing their individual struggles with their fathers and legacy, their romantic relationships, their dreams, their successes and failures bigness and smallness of their lives, and most of all, how their worlds remain inseparable ever since their initial summer meeting as young boys in the beautiful remote Italian Alps. And of course, the on-location filmmaking is just breathtaking for a mountain lover like myself. The valleys, the lakes, the waterfalls, and of course the snowy peaks. The immensity of it all, mixed with the simplicity and the peace it can bring, are explored to both heartbreaking and heartwarming effect. It's rare that I watch such a lengthy drama and come away feeling like I could have spent much longer in that world, but such was the case with the Eight Mountains. The characters are so rich, the environment's so soothing and awe-inspiring, I didn't want it to end. I'm not sure if those without a love for the outdoors will come away quite as spellbound as those of us mesmerized by what some of Earth's highest places have to offer will, but I find it difficult to think that anyone could get to know Bruno and Pietro as deeply as we do and not find themselves responding emotionally to this tender yet painful coming-of-age story of a loving male friendship and unbreakable bond. And that's a wrap on 2023, folks. Four movies that I saw at Sundance in January of this year ended up in my top 10, so don't let anyone ever accuse me of recency bias. Thank you for watching or listening. I hope that you discovered a new film to look forward to today. 
and that you're enjoying the reviews that I bring to this channel on a regular basis. Please do like, subscribe, comment, or leave a review if you are. Regardless, I appreciate you spending time with me. Can't wait to see you again in 2024. Until then, as always, keep watching and keep feeling.